here's the real deal. Rap was like the master key to the lock on my self-imprisonment. It was the taxi to my spirit, basically, and allowed me to get the inside stuff out, the crap out. Welcome back to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. My name is Mike Flynn, and I am honored to be your host. Our mission here on the Impact Entrepreneur Show is not just to inspire you, but also to help you tap into and begin to believe in your God-given potential and purpose. That's right, baby. We want you to not only be inspired, but experience breakthrough. And we do that on this podcast by interviewing incredible people who are using their experiences, their skill set, their platforms to have a game-changing impact in the lives of others. And here's the thing. None of these folks are simply sitting back, living a life of leisure. They have things to do, places to go, and lives to impact. Speaking of that, Derek Clark, best known as the rapping dad from his viral YouTube videos, is an inspiring motivational speaker and the author of Never Limit Your Life. Although you might see Derek having fun with his wonderful family online and think to yourself that this guy has made it, things weren't always that way for Derek. He spent 13 years of his life in the Alameda County foster care system where he struggled with rejection, humiliation, abuse, emotional distress, and overwhelming anxiety. The abuse and abandonment naturally felt like a curse, but it turned out to be one of Derek's greatest blessings. Derek believes he thrives as a leader because of his painful past, compassion for other, and a no-excuse attitude. Now, Derek's life mission is to help others find the mental strength to recognize and take advantage of their opportunities. His keynotes are based on true life trials and triumphs, inspiring thousands to overcome adversity and fear. Although it didn't probably seem so important at the time, one of the most influential moments of Derek's childhood was when he was first introduced to rap and rap battles in particular. Rap helped Derek for the first time deal with his tumultuous inner world, and this was life-changing for him. When your inner world is a mess, your outer world is going to reflect that, Derek said. But rap was a taxi for his spirit, and it let him get the inside stuff, the crap, out. We all get to choose how we live. We get to choose our attitude. You are only ever one thought away from another positive thought, And that can make all the difference. So don't be a podcast junkie. Bust out your pens and paper. Take some notes. Brace for impact with this incredibly fun conversation with the one, the only, Rapping Dad. Derek Clark, a.k.a. The Rapping Dad. Welcome to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. Thank you for jumping on in such short notice in the midst of all your jet setting. Thanks, Mike. It's great to be here. Rapping dad, representing. <laughs> yes. So as we just said, you are the rapping dad. You're a husband, you're a father, an international speaker, a hope dealer. and hope by dealer. A hope dealer. And by all accounts, you're living the good life, right? And people who don't know you, they might look at you and think, oh man, look at Derek. He has it easy. But that's not the case always. That's not always where we come from. That's not always how we start. And certainly, that's not how your story began. So why don't you take us a little bit back in time and tell us what made your family unique? Yeah. So I grew up 
in Alameda County Foster Care, Oakland uh, Foster Care System. And I was abandoned at age five at a psychiatric hospital and then uh, stayed at that hospital for a little bit while they did all these tests on me, neurological evaluations, speech and language evaluations, psychological exams, psychiatric exams. And uh, what they discovered when I was five was that I had the IQ of a two-year-old. I was overtly psychotic. Uh, they said, you know, erratic psychosis, withdrawn from reality since he was one. I, I had small and large motor skill problems. So at six years old, I could not run. I could not walk up and stairs by myself. Uh, my vocabulary was mainly uh, about 60 words. The national average in America is 2,600 words for a six-year-old. So I had all these issues and they said that I was unadoptable. If an adequate foster home cannot be found, I would be sent to Napa State Hospital. And that's where I would probably live if I didn't find the foster home, right? And so I navigated, I went from the psychiatric facility to a, a place called Snedeker Cottage, which is kind of like a, a shelter for unadoptable kids and had all these behavioral problems, emotional problems because of the, the brutal abuse. And, you know, my dad was in prison for the criminally insane. My mom had three kids from three different dads and my stepdad didn't want me and lots of abuse happened. Lots of brutal abuse is what my state records show. I was able to uh, find a home that kept me long-term. I wasn't adoptable, but it was a home on this farm. And this farm was freaking amazing. It was like I fell in love with all the chickens. I, I fell in love with the horses and the goats. And you know, when you go through a lot of abandonment and betrayal and rejection and abuse, uh, sometimes you can't trust humans. And that's what's great about animals is they help you learn how to love again and, and to trust again. When you are reflecting, and you've told your story, obviously, thousands yeah. of time at this point, but the, the emotion behind it never tenors. You know, it, it, it's got to be just so still prevalent, both the pain and the blessing of the abandonment and the family that you encountered. Right. You know, the, the issue is you can't have an ego with this kind of past. You have a big compassion muscle and an empathy muscle for other people. Pain attaches to pain, right? And so we're all broken. All of us are broken. And it's up to us to turn those broken pieces into masterpieces and let the light shine in our dark world. That's what I was working on, was trying to find my self-value. And later on in life, I found that you know what I thought was a curse growing up in foster care and having a dad that abandoned me and a mom that abandoned me and all this abuse, uh, and then going into the foster care system, it turned out not to be a curse, but one of my greatest blessings because it would eventually hook me up with the right foster family that kept me long-term. Yeah, I was this angry kid, this angry teenager, but they believed somewhere inside of me was that happy little boy again. Mm -hmm. And when you go through a lot of abuse, you learn to compartmentalize your pain. You learn to shut people out. You learn to not build relationships of trust. You learn not to connect. And Mm -hmm. That's what it's all about is human connection. I love that quote that says, we are not humans having a spiritual experience. We are spirits having a human experience. Mm -hmm. And when we take off all of our masks, because all of us have these masks, right? Oh no, don't be vulnerable. Oh, don't be vulnerable. But the fact is, is you got to be vulnerable because that vulnerability is like a, a laser beam to everybody else. It connects all of us. And that vulnerability empowers other people with hope. Mm -hmm. So we're all interconnected and we just got to learn to take off that mask and, and it's all right to be broken. Mm -hmm. It's all right to, to feel like that. It's all right to feel sad. It's all right to feel angry or despair. You just don't unpack and live there. And a lot of people unpack and live there for years. 
You know what's amazing about you use the word vulnerability? It's something that we celebrate in the movies when we watch things like Band of Brothers and we see these soldiers running out into harm's way and rescuing their brother that was shot and is a sniper trying to take him out. And he, he puts his life on the line and he goes and he rescues his brother and he takes him back in to shelter. And we celebrate that. And yet, in particular for men, more than anything, right. when we step out and we rip open our chest and show all of our wounds and be vulnerable, the, the world wants to criticize that today and wants to shut that down and, and, and make it a sign of weakness as opposed to a sign of bravery and strength and common ground, you know, because that's all of those things are what unite people. Right. And so for a man, and I think that's what helps me become so successful as a personal professional, you know, motivational speaker, right? Is that I've got a story, the underdog story. You know, a lot of other motivational speakers will use other people's stories. Right. And I wasn't trained by Jack Canfield or Tony, Tony Robbins or, you know, some of these other big dogs. I, I, I just decided to be vulnerable and share it to audiences and let them know that, hey, you can pick yourself back up. You know, you can see the light. There's always the light. You can find the light. And sometimes finding the light in my TED Talk, I came up with this acronym. I did a TED Talk on the power of determination. And in that TED Talk, it came to me like 20 minutes before that TED Talk. And it's a Derek Clark, you know, acronym, a Derek Clark quote. And how I, decide, how I give hope to others, well, basically how I get hope, how I receive hope is helping one person every day. Oh, yeah, yeah. So when you get outside of yourself, then you'll realize like, wow, I have some gratitude. You know, I meet people, you know, I recently met a young girl that has seven, she was 17 and had a four-year-old daughter and she came up to me and she says, I know I can be someone because you're someone. And I'm like, oh, thank you so much. And I'm doing the math in my head. Four-year-old daughter, 17 years old, probably had her at 12 or 13, somewhere in there, right? And I said, what's your story? And this was at one of my events. And she said, um, well, I grew up in a drug house and my mom started prostituting me out at 10 years old, 11 years old, and I got pregnant at 12. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you are such an inspiration to keep on going, right? Such resilience. Mm -hmm. You are worthy of redemption. That's what we got to do is tell everybody you're worthy of redemption. And she said, and I always ask them, what do you want to be in life? And she says, I want to be a psychologist. Mm. And I'm like saying, hey, listen, don't you give up. It's going to be hard, totally hard. Single mom going to college, but you can do this. You mm -hmm. can do this. And, you know, I got a, a letter about a year later saying, hey, Derek, I finished my first year in college. Wow. Which is awesome, right? You know, you know, we're all interconnected. We're all vulnerable, but I'm grateful for the shoes that I've walked in. I mm -hmm. would not want to walk in, in someone else's shoes. I mm -hmm. wouldn't. I mean, I'm like, mm -hmm. I probably, I don't know if I'd make it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what? And people look at me like, how'd you make it? <laughs> yeah. The farm that you were at, was that ultimately where your mom and dad lived, your adopted mom, adoptive parents? Or was that a step before you got to your adoptive parents? No, so I never got adopted. State record says I was unadoptable because of my behavioral emotional problems. So they wouldn't so I, let you, Oh, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. So I and I'm here to tell you every kid is adoptable. Every kid deserves a family. Every kid deserves love. You don't have to have the DNA to be a parent. Love is thicker than blood. You know what I mean? Yes. And so 
Um, you'll, the only time you turn your back on a kid, this is what I tell audiences all, all the time. The only time you turn your back on a kid is for them to hop on for a horsey or a piggyback ride. Yeah, you yeah, never yeah. give up on a kid, right? Mm-hmm. But they gave up on me, the neurologist, psychiatrist and such, and said I wasn't adoptable. So I got this, uh, this last foster home kept me long term. And it was on this farm. And so they're my mom and dad because they mm-hmm. never gave up on me. Believe me, they wanted to when I was a crazy teenager out of control, but they never gave up on me. Was there a moment where you recognized that these two people believed in you? So when you're in foster care, the average time in foster care is about 15 months. I'm what they call a lifer. So I, I was in there for 13 years. Uh, and when you're in foster care, when you're in a foster home with other foster kids, Usually they get visits from their biological family. They go to McDonald's, they go to the park, go to supervised visits, whatever. And I, I didn't get visits. So it would always make me angry that how come no one came to visit me? Where's my mom and dad? How come? And so I remember at about 11, 12 years old, somewhere in there, um, I would get a letter about once a year from my biological mom and she would sign, love mom. And then at around 12 years old, I got this letter and it said, love Bobby. And I'm like, who's Bobby? And I asked my foster mom, I'm like, who's Bobby? I don't even know who Bobby is, but it looks like my mom's handwriting. And she says, that's your mom. And then I realized that she was detaching from me and now no longer saying mom. Mm. So then shortly after that, I started somewhere around that time, I started calling my foster mom, mom. Mm. And, but you know, here's, this is, the truth, man. You know, I, I was out of control as a teenager. Lots of bad stuff was happening and um, a lot of trauma and such, emotional trauma. And so you don't realize until later on as an adult, you know, you start having that gratitude muscle flex. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you start appreciating, you go, oh my gosh, they went through hell with me and never gave up. They, they will always be my mom and dad. And usually when you're in foster care, you might say mom and dad and just move on and go on to real, you know, real life. Right. And you don't right. keep in touch with them much anymore, so, stuff like that. But these are my kids' grandparents. That's how connected we are. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, unfortunately, you know, I had to wait as an adult to find that appreciation and gratitude muscle because I was an angry 18-year-old, you know? I mean, I was angry at the world. So yeah. everything at that point had happened to you and not for you as right. far as you knew. Right. Right. But then there was this really powerful moment. You were trying to fit in in school. You were, you try, I think you, if I recall from what I've read and listened to, you tried to fit in with a skater crowd. Right. That didn't really work. And then all of a sudden, you're at this new high school and you hear something going on in the background. Yeah. So I'm hanging out with my friend Arlen, African American kid, me and him on the schoolyard at lunchtime, Hayward High, Hayward in the house. (laughs) And we're on the schoolyard and there's a bunch of people going over in the corner going, and I'm like, dude, there's a fight. Let's go get in a fight because I loved to fight back then. Right. And so uh, he goes, that's not a fight. They're doing battles. And I'm like, battles? He goes, yeah, rap. And I'm like, rap crap. I don't listen to rap. I listen to skater death punk crazy music. Right. And And so I went over there and I saw something that changes my life forever. I see two guys battling each other, talking about their moms or cussing at each other. They're going, they're clowning on each other. And I'm like, dude, I want to be a rapper. He goes, nah, (laughs) D white, you can't do that. And I'm like, I want to be a rapper, dude. And he goes, you got no rhythm D. And I'm like, you see me at high school dances. I got no rhythm. (laughs) But I knew without a shadow of a doubt that I was always getting in, in, uh, 
trouble with for fighting for my fists. Well, what if I could, you know, use my mouth, my tongue as a weapon instead of my fists? So I started to battle and I sucked. And everyone's like, see, you suck, man. Ripping D, you suck. They call me Ripping D. And I just, I kept writing. And what is rap? Rap, rap is poetry, emotion, flowetry, right? And so I would just write the pain of my past, learning how to rhyme right, learning syllable arrangement, syncopation, finding the rhythm. And in about a year, you know, I still sucked. But I believed that I was going to come up. I believed it. I believed I was the GOAT. LL Cool J used to say the GOAT all the time, greatest of all time. And I thought, man, I'm going to be great one day. I'm going to be a great rapper. And that's what I became addicted to. So I just write, 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 battle, battle. And uh, then in one of my battles, I did something like this. I'll be the ripping and people were like, what'd you just do there? And then I realized I had like a, a, a tongue twisting gift. Like my tongue moved quick. Right. And then I'm thinking, well, I could probably beatbox. <laughs> then like, you know, whatever, you know. Yeah. And so, but in one of my battles, I was like, oh, I got something. And then my friend turned me on to a reggae mixtape. He gave me Yellow Man, Lucky Dube, Peter Tosh, Ziggy Marley, Bob Marley. And I'm like vibing out to reggae. And I thought, what if I could mix reggae with rap? And so in one of my battles, I did something like, well, I'll be the ripping. I'm thinking, I'm making, ticking my time. I'll be the ripping. I'm thinking, I'm making, I'm making, I'm making, I'm kicking it with the rhyme. And then I switch to reggae. Is I'm in the wonder field. I'm going to make it, I'm going to make it, kicking it, kicking it with the deals. I'm going to the villa coming. Nothing is impossible. And then everything started changing. And then I realized, oh, I can flow. I can flow. So I'm just writing the pain of my life, right? Just writing the pain of my past. And then do a love song here or there for the girls, right? <laughs> and then. You know, it was just coming up. I was just trying to, I mean, this is before Eminem, you know, Eminem just a couple years younger than me, but he was coming up, you know, about the same time probably too. So we're all just trying to find our place and use our pain to, you know, get it out. Because here's the real deal. Rap was like the master key to the lock on my self-imprisonment. It was the taxi to my spirit, basically, and allowed me to get the inside stuff out, the crap out. Mm -hmm. And here's the deal. I mean. If you can't get your inner world together, your outer world isn't going to be much better. It's going to be a reflection, a mirror of your inner world. So mm. I had to start working on my inner wealth, you know, my mm. determination muscle, my mm. perseverance muscle, my creativity mm. muscle, my integrity muscle, my endurance muscle, my perseverance muscle, you know, all these muscles. Because as a society, we are so focused on the outside. Let's go work out. And people will go work out for an hour to two hours a day, right? And then they have this this vision of what their life's supposed to be. Like, I need the big house. I need the car. I need all that stuff. And it's all these outside distractions. And it's leading us to those. It's like almost addicting because we want to keep up with everybody else. Oh, they got the new Range Rover. Then they're going on this vacation or they got this and that. And so what I tell people is like, hey, don't even focus on outside stuff right now. I mean, it's good to work out, be physical. But imagine if you spent an hour or two hours a day working on your inner wealth, your inside life, right? Your inner life. Mm-hmm. Because so many of us let the inner me become the enemy, right? Mm-hmm. Let me mm-hmm. say that again. So mm-hmm. many of us let the inner me become the enemy. So you got to start being best friends with yourself and seeing the great value that you have within you. And so I'm always talking about inner wealth. If you get your inner life together, your outside life will be much better. I love it, dude. 
I'll tell you real quick. I made my first million at probably 30, 31 years old, and I had not healed from foster care. And so I spent a lot of money on filling this hole in my life. And what you've realized is money and fame only magnify who you are. Mm -hmm. So that's it. If you're a very giving person, you make a million dollars, you're going to be a giver. If you're a very selfish person, if you're, there's people out there that I've met that make millions of dollars and they're not happy. So Mm -hmm. you can be sad, depressed, even with, I mean, we see it with actors, with actresses, with sport figures and uh, comedians where they commit suicide and they got, they got everything a person would want, Mm -hmm. but they didn't have the inner wealth that was Mm -hmm. going on. Right. hundred percent. I was going to go back to your high school experience, but I want to stay on this moment for a moment longer because before we hit the record button, you and I were talking about one of the things that I'm hyper aware of that's going on in our society right now is the, is the, the rapidly elevating rate of suicide among people in every generation. It's the highest that it's been in 30 years. And if our experiences, if our life is really a composite of our varying experiences from birth until present, and basically along the way, we have these little red and blue pill moments, these impact moments that we get to choose the trajectory that those experiences set us on based on your experience speaking around the world to a whole variety of audiences, listening to other speakers, what is the most important message that people need to hear that motivational, quote quote unquote, or inspirational speakers are really afraid to tell them? I don't know what other motivational speakers are afraid to say, but I, I can tell you this, Mike, that Rapping Dad, my social media, it's all under Rapping Dad, R-A-P-P-I-N-G-D-A-D, right? And so the two common messages that I get daily are, number one, will you be my dad? Because of Rapping Dad, fun, fair, firm dad. I'm a fun, fair, firm dad, right? Number two, though, is I'm thinking about killing myself. I just can't handle it anymore, Derek. Your story is amazing. How did you make it? And I always flip it on them. And I say, the meaning of life is to give your life meaning. And I wouldn't find my meaning in life till years later. But I can tell you from my speeches and from me connecting with lots of broken people that I can tell you this, that your current situation is not your final destination. Your best days are still ahead of you. And you cannot let other people's mistakes or your mistakes confine you, define you, let them refine you. Because hope is contagious. And if you will be that vessel if everybody was that vessel, that hope dealer, you know, the, the vessel of hope, suicide would be down. But so many people feel alone. I mean, Mike, I got tons and tons of followers. And there are people that tell me I've got 600 followers or 600, you know, Instagram followers or uh, Facebook friends. And they'll tell me that they feel so lonely because here's the deal. You cannot feel connected on social media. I mean, it's good to see everyone's pictures and stuff. But it's about human connection. That is the strongest drug out there. And I know because one of my friends, Jorge, he spent seven years in prison for heroin. And the last two years, he was in the shoe, isolation, right? So you get out for 20, you're in the cell for 23 and a half hours. You get out for a half an hour and you go in this cage. He's in there for heroin. And I remember asking him, 
do you miss heroin? Do you think about heroin? He goes, no, Derek, I think about human connection. I said, you know what that tells me is that is the strongest drug. And he goes, absolutely. And because I don't have that human connection, I then try to numb, right? And then we self-medicate and all this stuff. But human connection, if we could break away from social media where we're thinking our value comes from someone liking our picture or rejection and betrayal comes from one of our friends not liking our picture. <laughs> yeah. People feel so rejected when a friend liked someone else's picture, but then like your picture, right? And so we just need to make sure that we're all connecting in a human, humanistic way versus oh, this is human connection through social media. It's not. Mm -hmm. it's, mm -hmm. not it's not real. Mm -hmm. It totally. is not real. This episode is brought to you by the Lawton Marketing Group, a full-service advertising and design agency specializing in websites, social media, apps, logos, and more. Based in Oklahoma, they work with clients across the nation from small businesses to large corporations and everything in between. You can find them right now on the web at www.lawtonmg.com or call them at 580-275-2063. Connect with them now for a complimentary competitive analysis of your website. Just tell them the Impact Entrepreneur told you to call. You know, I want you, there's a few things that I, I think we're, are going to say. We're going to segue back into your story, back into the past a little bit, and a couple of things that I've I've listened to you say, and you've said it even here, is that one, you believed that you were going to be great, right? Like you had zero experience, zero knowledge, but you knew internally that you were going to be great. At one point in one of your speeches, I think it might have been in that TEDx talk. You said that your buddy at high school and you were listening to this these battles going on. You said I had I listened to this to the small voice within and it made me go right. So right. maybe those two things are connected: the voice within and the belief that you were going to be great. Maybe you can elaborate a little bit more on on how you were sensitive to that. Right. So I've been pretty sensitive to the voice of God. You know, it's the one who feeds me. Mm -hmm. And if you don't believe in God, then it's about your intuition. But I believe something feeds your intuition and you have to not be distracted and you've got to have uh, silence in your mind to listen to these things. And so many people get so distracted that they never hear that voice. And mm -hmm. it was the voice that says, Derek, don't do drugs. You know, it was a voice that said, go check it out, Derek. And I asked Arlen, did you say something to me? He goes, no. And, and then I knew that I need to check it out. And so... Let's go segue that a little bit. I, God and I didn't like each other for years. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't care for God. I believe that he took everyone away from me. I mean, you got to understand from foster care, you, you feel so betrayed. And then you feel like, and you pray. You know, this, this Christian family on the farm, this foster home taught me to pray. And I would pray for one thing, Mike, it was to go home to my own family. Mm -hmm. And then you realize later on in life that those unanswered prayers were great blessings in your life. You know, at 16 years old, you know, I'm learning how to rap. My, my sister had just been shot and killed. My brother had been killed. My good friend had been shot and killed all when I was 16 and 17 years old. And so I was just angry at the world at that point and angry at God. And why, why is everybody being taken away from me? So I would just keep working on raps, just mm -hmm. believing I was going to get better and better and better. And, you know, if you had asked me 
17 years old, what are you going to be? I'm, I'd say, I'm going to get a record deal. I'm going to get a record deal. I'm going to get a record deal. And I would try. I'd send out demos. I'd send out tape CDs. I'd send them out all the time. And no one was interested. <laughs> <laughs> and a white rapper from Hayward. Yeah, exactly. And you know, it was, it was the early 90s, right? So you had Marky Mark out there. You had Vanilla Ice. You had uh, Third Base. You had like some of these rappers, Lamar and some of these old, you know, but everything kind of changed and everything kind of went to Motown, TLC, Boys to Men, you know, stuff like that. Color Me Bad, I think was out. So, you know, everything kind of changed and I got shelved, but I, I had, you know, was recording it in the same studio as Tupac, uh, Metallica, uh, Faith No More, In Vogue, Tony, 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 Club Nouveau, like all these big barrier bands, right? In the 90s. And so I thought I was going to make it. I thought I was going to make it. And a couple of years later, who comes out? Eminem. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, that's me, man. That's me. But, you know, but, you know, it's the definition of making it is different for other people. Right. So, you know, here's the truth. I go speak at juvenile facilities. I go speak at prisons. I go speak at hardcore schools in Chicago and, and other places. And I don't see any of those rappers going down there. Mm-hmm. I don't see any of those rappers giving back. Mm-hmm. And so if this to me, this to me is what is making it because I'm down there in the trenches trying to help people find the light and have hope. So mm-hmm. I may not make all the money as that, the rapper does or this or that, but I know I'm making an impact. Mm-hmm. You know, my sister actually asked me to ask you about your faith, because even though you did not overtly talk about it in your speech in Steubenville, she was she 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 heard the, the language. She heard the that the God speaking through you. And I believe that one of the, one of the catalysts of, of this show, one of the reasons for the show is that each and every one of us is created by a God who not only ex- created us to be great, but also expects us to be great. And right. that we, we are called to live up to our God given potential. And that, which by the way, is way beyond anything that we can possibly ask for or imagine. Absolutely. We have no idea. We just got to try to live beyond our self-perceived limits. Yeah, we have no idea. Like uh, a meditation that I often go through myself and then I've been having other people go through is like having them close their eyes and like have their brain like go outside of their head and then do like a a 180 and look down on them to just get outside of their four walls of their head and just see like, the expansiveness, you know, like almost like one of those Google map things where you can all of right. a sudden you're, you can be at your address and then two seconds later in outer space, you know, yeah, it's like, that's what, that's what, I mean, and our possibility, our potential is even beyond that. You know, we just have to really believe in it. So I want to, I want to know how your faith helped you make sense of something that doesn't make sense. Yeah. So in the last 10 years, I've found faith. You know, I've, I didn't have it for years and years. And what it has done for me is helped me become a better dad, a better husband, a more compassionate individual, even though I was already compassionate, but it's just, you're kind of more forgiving as well. Faith to me is believing in something that's bigger than me. And whether you call it God or whether you whatever you want to call it. You know, it's something bigger than me that is more powerful than me that I can lean on. And it's something I can't see, but it's something that gives me strength. Mm -hmm. And so I am strengthened 
Now, I don't go to church a lot. You know, I mean, I'm always on the road and such like that, but I'll listen if I want to be filled because I fill so many people up at my events. If I want to be filled, I listen to Bishop T.D. Jakes. I listen to Pastor John Hagee. You know, I, I even listen to podcasts and such that just fill me up because mm-hmm. uh, I don't get an opportunity to go to church all the time. And so, um, but having that faith in something bigger than me and being humble and acknowledging it and praying and asking for guidance. That's what I do at least three times a day, dude. I ask for guidance. Mm-hmm. I, I ask for you to lead me, to let me be a vessel, let me be an instrument. Mm-hmm. And it's worked out great. Mm-hmm. And my my business, my thoughts, everything is just elevated, expanded. I have not become... I, I used to be skinny like this, just very narrow thinking. And then uh, faith opened it up where I'm a wide thinker now. Mm-hmm. How's that improved your rap skills, your flow? Yeah, so it's interesting that the one rap that's had over 200 million views is kind of faith. You want to hear it? Yeah, let's do it. throw it down, okay. Let's do it. So my daughter was in the car. She was nine years old at that point, and my six-year-old son, and the song came on by Nicki Minaj, and I'm like, ooh, turn that off. I don't want my daughter twerking in the back seat. It was, and she's like, Dad, I love it. And I'm like, no, it's inappropriate for a nine-year-old. So I did something like this. Got to keep the lyrics clean, if you know what I mean. No more Nicki Minaj in her twerking machine. No more naked fashion from Kim Kardashian. You a mom. Do you need an intervention? And Miley, no more wrecking ball. Put on some clothes. Where's Hannah, y'all? Because my little daughter loved Hannah Montana reruns, right? And she's like, ooh, it's Miley, right? <laughs> Got to turn off Kanye. Eminem, Jay-Z, no more cuss words and negativity. Because a lot of rappers talk about drug sex killing. But when they're going to use the words to start healing, infect the mind of our young kids. When I think about the little boy who didn't know Jesus, but knew Lil Wayne, knew T-Pain, knew 2 Chains 50, LeBron James. This is insane in the membrane because I'm ripping them, thinking them, make a ticket back. The rap game, everybody's got a little battle to battle. I'm the rapping dad, got to get you back in the saddle. Ripping the thinking, I'm making the second, I'm making the kicking the kind of famous. Here I am now making up my own language. You talk Illuminati, talking about your Maserati, or your Adi, 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 in the back of your Bugatti, man. What's the real rap, not bubblegum pop from the old school of conscious hip hop? And so, you know, it's interesting that that is the the video that would take off. I mean, I've had 5 million here and 2 million here and stuff, but this one, which is very interesting because I'm basically saying that all these kids are growing up knowing who celebrities are, but don't know real hope, Mm -hmm. don't know Mm -hmm. who Jesus is. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I listen to Kanye, I listen to Eminem, I listen to Jay-Z, I listen to Lil Wayne, I listen to all that, but I don't want my nine-year-old and six-year-old listening to him. You mm-hmm. know, at that point. Mm-hmm. So that's why, because mm-hmm. people, I used to get so much flack like Kanye or Eminem helped me. And I'm like, yeah, Eminem has some great songs. But the fact is, is I don't want my nine year old listening to White Trash Party or something, you know, like, yeah, 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 songs, yeah. right? And so that was the whole premise is got to turn off Kanye, Eminem, Jay Z, no more cuss words and negativity. I just don't want my nine year old and six year old to go through that. But you'd be amazed on how many nine year olds, seven year olds, eight year olds know all the words to the, some of these songs and don't know who Jesus is. So yeah. that was the whole premise of that. Yeah. And they, and even, even if you don't have a faith in Jesus or a faith right. in God or whatever, like that dichotomy there, that juxtaposition of the fact that they know about dating and raping and killing and money right. and fame and all this stuff, but don't know about unconditional love and sacrifice. 
is what's wrong with the culture today. Right. And like the power of words is something that you discovered. And, and we speak to ourselves 90% of the time in the quiet of our mind using this, the same words that we speak to each other. And oftentimes what we're saying to ourselves, we would never ever say to another human being unless we hated them. Right. 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 And we listen to these lyrics and these people love these celebrities and these songs and, and they're not willing to, to acknowledge the fact that they're, they're perpetuating a culture that ultimately is dragging them down. Right. It's, and, not, you know, it's not building them up. It's not giving them the space to be the goat. Right. And so like these, some of these right, Lil Xan or Lil Pump or Lil Yachty or all the Lils, right? All that stuff. And, you know, like Papa Molly, 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 Papa, you know, or whatever. Right. And I'm like, man, where is hip hop? Hip hop was always about the struggle. A lot of the times it was either party music or it was about the struggle. It was like your street Bible, right? That's, right. that's basically like your current street Bible. And then we, I remember listening to NWA and Eazy-E and I would get that album and I would listen in the dark because they had little uh, prequels or little interludes be, between each rap song. And it would be like, you're in prison or this or that, or someone got shot or something. Mm -hmm. It was like a movie. I would envision it. And, but it was their struggle living in Compton and living down in LA area. Right. And so it was like, you could feel it. And most of the rap these days isn't even rap. It's like mumble or it's, you know, it's weird. And so uh, we got to save that hip hop culture somehow because it was a voice. That was what was great. It was a voice. Yeah. Yeah. You created a movement the, the yeah. hip hop culture of the, of the nineties and the early two thousands was a movement that right. was a, it was a storytelling movement, you right. know? And, and, and we definitely have lost that in it. And it is all about these like repetitive words and, and just these beats. Right. And people don't even sometimes listen to the lyrics. I was talking to a friend. I'm like, dude, are you listening to what they're saying? Because they're talking about your kids right now. Like, and, and like, that's insane. He's like, no, I just like the beat. Yeah. I'm like, oh, dude. Horrible. Yeah. The beats are sick. The beats are cool. The beats are I sick. Like the they are cool, are but man, but the subconscious nobody, is a powerful yeah. thing. And it just, and those kids are just keep listening over and over again. And a lot of them are drug references. Oh my you gosh. Yeah. So, you know, but they make yeah. it cool. Yeah. Right? So all of a sudden a, a kid doesn't, who's listening to the drop a Molly, Molly, you know, like yeah, yeah. they're on the playground. Hey, what's a Molly? And all yeah. of a sudden someone says, Oh, I have one. Yeah, yeah. Here you go. Right. And then the cycle starts and, and we, I have friends and, family who have fallen into the cycle of addiction and it's just from one little entryway right. and then the whole entire train of right. pain begins. It's one of the things that one of the ways that we can live life and, and one of the things I love that you talk about is that there's five ways that we can live life and we can we conscious adults, those of us who are, are have enough self-awareness actually get to decide which one of these we live in. And so I'd love for you to just spend a couple of minutes talking about the five ways to live life. You know, the number one way is your attitude. Your attitude can be your best friend or worst enemy. If that's something that I could really put down on, like into people's minds, the other four are great, but number one is your attitude. That's, that's something you get to choose every single second of the day, 86,400 seconds. I'll give you an example. Let's say you get 86,400, well, you do 86,400 seconds, and then somebody pisses you off and 
says some bad things about you and steals 10,000 seconds of that, right? And you have this bad attitude, you know, that's contagious now. And so you either affect people in a positive way or you infect people. And so I tell them, don't, don't unpack and live in that. You still got 76,400 seconds still <laughs> left, you know? Uh, give it a different example. Somebody gave you $86,400 in your bank account and then also every day was deposited in your bank account. Every day you got $86,400. And then you found out, you know, that somebody stole $10,000 out of your bank account, but you're getting it deposited every single day. So are you going to let that ruin the rest of your day? Or are you going to go spend that $76,400, right? Right. So, oh my gosh. Yeah. I never thought about that. <laughs> so... You just don't unpack and live in that. I mean, yeah, you can feel bad, you can feel sad, you can you know go through all these range of emotions, but you've got to move on. I tell them, just like you swipe a phone, I mean, what's the average person right now is touching their phone, what, 400 times a day at least? And so everybody's swiping. So that's what I tell people, just swipe that bad attitude, just swipe everything, just, just like that. I actually blink hard. If I get a bad attitude, you know, I'm not bulletproof, I'm not invincible, so... Once in a while, I, I get a bad attitude. So I try to uh, squeeze my eyes so hard and think of Ben and Jerry's fish food ice <laughs> or caramel on there because it's got the caramel and the uh, dark chocolate and the marshmallow swirls with the chocolate ice cream. So, you know, I'm trying to think of everything else to get out of that mindset. And, you know, realistically, you're only one thought away from another positive thought. Mm, so mm, absolutely. I, I think if I could really, out of those five, it's the attitude. It have really you uh, the attitude? Have you ever read Man's Search for Meaning? Yeah, yeah. I mean that—that's that, the power of choice is yeah. everything. That's the—that's the basis for everything. It's an A B decision, right? And and you get to choose what you suffer with, right? Like, well, yeah. I can go into a couple more. So, yeah. uh, uh, actions. You know, nobody is holding you back. You get to choose your actions. So, uh, you know, you want to steal a car, you want to do drugs. Those are your actions. Nobody's controlling you. Nobody's controlling your mouth. Nobody's controlling your arm, you know, moving towards wanting to hit someone or something like that. So I tell people, you know, uh, if you get mad and you have these actions, remember that danger, you know, the stranger danger, right? You remember that as growing up as kids. So anger is one letter away from danger. So choose your actions. And then the third one would be choose your reactions. Mm -hmm. How you react to a situation is going to determine the success that you have in your life. How you mm -hmm. react to a situation will determine your success in a life, success in your life. So if you're always just flipping out and you don't have the patience and you don't have the... I'll give you an example. I heard Dr. Wayne Dyer, who's one of my mentors, he rest, rest in peace, Dr. But uh, he was awesome. And one of my favorite books is Power of Intention from him. And, but he had this, uh, this metaphor that every, you know, we have an orange and we hold this orange and we squeeze this orange as hard as we can. What comes out? Juice. Juice. But is it cherry juice? Is it beer? Is it apple juice? Orange juice. Orange juice. Why? Because it's an orange. Because that's what's inside. Yeah. Exactly. So you extend that metaphor to you and your squeeze. That's somebody that uh, says some bad things about you or writes something bad about you or whatever. And you're squeezed. And what happens when you're squeezed, right? What comes out of you? Is it resentment? Is it bitterness? Is it hatred? Is it rage? Or is it peace and forgiveness mm -hmm. and love? 
So that's what I try to do now is uh, I extend that metaphor to me when I get squeezed. I mean, I get people that hate on me. My gosh, you know, when you got 250 million views, you're going to have some, uh, you know, some comments that say some crazy things and I want to fight back. I want to, <laughs> you know, like write them back. Right. And stuff like that. And but it's not worth my time and energy and you cannot change someone else's mind. So mm. they either hate you or don't. Right. And so, um, but I have to remember to choose peace. Mm. That mm-hmm. the orange, when I'm squeezed, mm-hmm. I want to, I want to be squeezed into peace. Yes. Oh, I love that. I love that. Let me ask you a question. Are, would you be willing to freestyle? Like if I gave you some words to think about over the next couple of minutes while we're con- concluding our conversation, would you be willing to freestyle? I mean, I can try. But let me give you these words okay. to think about while we uh, wrap up the conversation. Potential, influential intention, impact, react, resonate, contemplate, love. So those, those are the words. And, and so the, the, I always conclude the conversation with the, the same three questions for every guest, whether it's been Lou Holtz or Jocko Willink or Marie Forleo or, or, or Joe Schmo. Everybody answers the- Mel Robbins. The, Mel Robbins. I've had her on the show. I, know, yeah. I saw yeah. that. Pretty awesome. And, uh, Everybody answers these questions. Okay. The first question is, if you could pick any skill set that you currently possess and turn it into a superpower, so a skill set you currently possess and turn it into a superpower, what would it be? Resilience. Turning that weakness into strength. Mm-hmm. Because so many of us, we're survivors. All of us are survivors, but then we choose to give up. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, we're. Mm, dude, resilience is the choice not to give up. Right. I love that. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, that's powerful. Yeah. Okay. The next question is, if you could pick, uh, what are three lies? Sorry. What are three lies that we tell ourselves that prevent us from realizing our full potential? I'm good enough. Uh, where I am, mediocre, right? Because mm-hmm. you always have more potential, but a lot of people don't like to reach their potential because they don't want to put in the effort. They don't want to go the 200%, right? You, you've got to grind. Oh, I'll make it. That's in the number two. I'll make it. I'll work at it when they aren't willing to sacrifice the TV and sacrifice mm-hmm. partying. Because mm-hmm. people, I've written seven books and people come to me. I've been trying to write a book for 20 years. And I'm like, man, I write them in like six months, three, mm-hmm. you know, three months to nine months, right? And so I sacrifice sleep, I sacrifice TV, I sacrifice partying, all that stuff. And then number three is uh, nobody cares about you. Mm-hmm. And the fact is, is there is always someone that does care. We just have to remember to reach out. Mm-hmm. And how do we know if you're going through something, if you won't talk about it? Mm-hmm. So believe me, if you will talk about it, someone's going to care. Mm. Especially if you're saying something like, you know, I'm ready to end my life. If you just type that on Facebook, I'm ready to kill myself. I'm ready. I see it. I'm ready. I'm done. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm done. I want to kill myself. And I see it in all the comments that people make. Don't do it. So if you did that in person versus just writing it out, just mm-hmm. speak to someone you know, I, there are people that have been saved off the Golden Gate Bridge because somebody talked to them. Mm-hmm. It's about that human connection, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so the lie is that nobody cares. Mm. Yeah. Love it. Thank you. 
The last question is, how will you measure your life? Well, I used to think that success was financial. And I achieved great financial success and then lost it. (laughs) 2008 came, you know, and I... And I owned a company called fastmortgage.com before I became a speaker and a real estate company and a mortgage company and did very well for years. And then, my gosh, it all went to hell. And so it changed my whole way of thinking that success isn't financial, success is significance. Mm-hmm. What am I doing to help other people uh, find hope? I love it. You know, John Maxwell has one of the best definitions of success that I've ever heard. And have you heard it? It's, no. it's oh. success is knowing that those who you love and respect love and respect you. Hmm. John Maxwell's the man. You know, Dude. he used to be a pastor. I know, I know, <laughs> I know. He, yeah, I mean, but like there's just so much wisdom in that guy and it's yeah. universally true, you know? Right. And he's using his gifts. When he gets squeezed, right. that, that wisdom comes out. Yeah. All right, my man, let's hear this motivational rap as we okay. conclude our conversation on the Impact Entrepreneur Show with Derek Clark, a.k.a. The Rapping Dad. Rapping Dad, you can find me at IWillNeverGiveUp.com or social media, Rapping Dad, R-A-P-P-I-N-G-D-A-D. Reach out to me if you'd like. Let's see. Let me give you some potential. Down with influential. I'm making an impact. Time instrumental. So here's a few lessons that I've learned. I've turned a mess into a message and earned a return. I've turned scars into stars. Live like avatars. No one can stop you. If you believe in your heart and this is your life going on and never let the past infect your future for a moment. Never let a weakness destroy your greatness. It's time to profess you're too blessed to be stressed. Bam. You could be everything you want to be, but never let the enemy mm, be your enemy. It's time to be better and not bitter. It's a choice to be a winner and it's a choice to be a quitter. So if you've been knocked down or thought about suicide, get out of the shadows and hold your head high. Because this is your time, and this is your sign. Get up and climb. You were born for this moment to shine. Love it, brother. <laughs> Dude, that was awesome. Thank, Thank you, you so much. You're welcome, man. Thanks for having me on. Greatness Absolutely. is contagious, and hope yes. is contagious. Peace That's- out. Peace. Thank you to this week's guest, and thank you for listening. If you missed any of the key points and highlights from my conversation, we've got you covered over at theimpactentrepreneur.net forward slash podcast for show notes to each and every episode. And while you are there, check out Flynn Wealth Strategies and Insurance Solutions. You can do that by visiting flynnwealthstrategies.com. The Lot Marketing Group and the Podcast Masters. We could not do this show without them and with all of their support. Now, until next time, go make an impact.